God, that's, uh, that's what we need to do, but that we don't do very well. Uh, we need to turn our eyes on Jesus because too often we keep our eyes on ourselves and our problems seem very big, and they are. But when we turn our eyes on Jesus, they are but small to you, nothing you can't handle. When we keep our eyes on ourselves, God, that uh, we become consumed with ourselves. We look for people to serve us. We look for things to meet our needs. We become a consumer. But when we turn our eyes on Christ, we trust you for our provision to meet those needs to satisfy, but instead we seek to serve others. We seek to give to others. And we trust you to provide. So God, would you help us this morning to turn our eyes upon Jesus? And God, I'm asking you to speak this morning through your word, that you would let your spirit speak to us uh, through the word that we might know how each of us needs to apply it this morning that you would do that which, which only you can, which is to change hearts and to change lives. God, we need you to do that. So God, speak this morning. We pray in Christ's name, amen. amen. So we all have relationships, different types of relationships, marriage, parents, kids, work, all that. Uh, and you, you know that relationships change. I mean, we, we've all experienced changing relationships, and, and they usually change as our life changes, right? So uh, you go and you get a new job, you get new coworkers, and so your relationships change. You, you, you start building new relationships with your new coworkers, and then your, your past coworkers, your relationships start to change there, uh, and it, it's not the same. It, it changes, uh, you, you marry someone, uh, if you are the, uh, the parent of someone getting married, you inherit another son or another daughter. Your relationships start to change because your life is changing. If you're the one marrying someone, well, then you inherit some more parents. And your, your, your relationships start to change. And you build new relationships with your in-laws. And you keep your, hopefully, relationships with your, your, your parents. And, 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 it, and it changes. Right? Uh, you join a sports team. You become close with the team members and you all start working toward a common goal and, and your relationships change and you start spending time with the team members and maybe you spend less time with other people because you're spending time with your team members. We get that relations change, the relationships change. We get that as our life changes, our relationships change. And, and so it's really no surprise that when we talk about following Christ that we should talk about how our relationships change. But did you know that as we start to follow Christ, our relationships change? But not only do they change, what starts to happen is spiritual relationships become more important than physical relationships. 
When we start to follow Christ, our spiritual relationships start to become more important than our physical relationships. And so what we're going to see this morning in the life of Jesus is how that's kind of taken place. And it can be a bit harsh and it can be a bit tense when we think about family ties. But what we're going to find is that our family relationships changed when our relationship to Christ changed. So if you'll turn with me to book of Mark chapter 3. Book of Mark chapter 3, and we're going to be in the uh, last five verses of book of Mark chapter 3, so we'll start in verse 31. If you need a Bible, there should be a few Bibles on each of the rows in front of you. Uh, you're welcome to grab that, and if you're in one of those Bibles, it's going to be around page 835, somewhere around there, uh, the book of Mark. If you're turning in your own Bible, you want to kind of turn towards the back, look for some red letters, and you're either in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John at that point, and it goes in this order, Matthew, then Mark, then Luke, then John, so you can kind of find your, your way to Mark chapter 3. Also, if you need a Bible this morning and, and you're using one of those and you don't have one of your own, that's our gift to you. If, if you like that one, hey, it's even leather-bound and it's inscribed, that's great. Uh, take it. You know, that's our gift to you. We, we want you to have a Bible. We want everyone to have a Bible that they can, they can read. So Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3. Here's what we got. Je uh, then Jesus' mother and his brothers came. Standing outside, they sent word to him to summon him. Verse 32, a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Look, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. He answered them and said, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking at those who were sitting around him in a circle, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. So we've got this short story this morning. It actually started in verse 20 and 21 that we looked at last week. And so let's just review that quickly. Uh, last week we saw these two groups come to Jesus and they both had some bad attitudes. Right? So we had, we had his family, which we only got a, a glimpse into. Verse 20 and 21 is where we see the family. And what we see is they're actually going to find Jesus because they think he's gone mad. They think he's gone crazy because he's skipping meals. He's been traveling, and he gets to this house, and now there's so many people who are demanding of his time and his attention and his work and his ministry and his healing, and he just skips his meal and dives right in. And his family assesses that, and they go, man, that's, he's, he's lost it. That's it. He's not even eating anymore. And so they're, they're headed out to go and restrain him, to arrest him, to take him captive. And that's all we got last week. And then it jumped to that second group, which were the scribes and the Pharisees, uh, and they were saying, hey, look, Jesus is doing these miraculous signs. We can't deny that. But here's, here's the secret. He's doing them by the power of Satan. And so what Mark was doing for us was putting those two groups in the same category. He was putting the, uh, the family of Jesus and the scribes and Pharisees in the same category. And that was not believing Jesus. And so now we pick back up with that first group because we only got a, a short picture of them last week. We just know that they set out, they were coming to find Jesus, and their intent was, we're going to restrain him. And that's where we pick up this morning in verse 31, and that's where it says, then Jesus' mother and his brothers came. Let me stop there for a minute. Let's, let's do it, a, a kind of a teaching moment here for a moment. Because some of you, that might, that might be, be a question in your mind now. Wait, Jesus had brothers? Here's why we want, to, we want to talk about this briefly. Yes, Jesus had brothers. There are some church traditions that believe that Jesus did not have any biological, blood-related brothers or sisters or any other kids. And the reason they believe that is because they hold to uh, Mary being a virgin her entire life. Right? Not only was she a virgin when, when Jesus was born and, and leaned up to that, but she was a virgin all the way until she died. I call that the perpetual virginity of Mary. Well, if Mary's going to remain a virgin, then she can't have any other kids. 
right? And that's an, important, that's an important belief and an important doctrine for some church traditions. And so when they come to passages like this where it says Jesus' brothers, that causes a problem. And so here's, here's, I want you to know this so that you can be informed as you have these conversations. Um, here's how those church traditions will explain a passage like this. The word in Greek is adelphos, brothers. Sometimes it can be brothers and sisters. Sometimes it can be cousins, stepbrothers. It really means kind of close kin, close relationships. So what, what uh, a lot of times those church traditions will do is they'll say, well, that, that really, it, brothers is a bad translation. It should be his cousins, or in some cases, his stepbrothers. You know, Joseph maybe had some kids with someone else or Mary got re- uh, married and he had kids or something. You know, they, they explain away. And I just want you to know, uh, based on the Greek, that's, a, that's a, certainly a possibility. That, that word can be translated that. It's no, no big deal. But here's the problem with that. And I don't really think it's a problem. But you go to Matthew, the book of Matthew, where Matthew tells us about the account of, uh, of Jesus' birth. Matthew chapter 1, verse 24. When Joseph awoke from his sleep, he's just been revealed that Mary's pregnant, and it's not by him, it's by the Holy Spirit. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did what the angel of the Lord told him. He took his wife. In other words, he didn't divorce her, he took her. But he did not have marital relations with her until she gave birth to a son. That until is kind of a loaded word. Until. All right, so that's why when I, when I come to John chapter 4, I'm, I'm going, no, it's not a problem that he had brothers. They're his half-brothers. And, and it doesn't do anything to the virgin birth of Jesus because Matthew clearly takes care of that for us and explains, yeah, Joseph and Mary, they didn't get really intimate until Jesus' birth. So Jesus' mother and his brothers, I think it's his real, his real brothers, his biological, biological brothers, his half-brothers, you know, but his family. And so just want you to know that so that you can have that you know, kind of in your back pocket, not so you can say, ha-ha, gotcha, but so that you can just be informed when someone says, no, Jesus didn't actually have brothers, so what do you do with your Bible when it says he had brothers? There you go. All right, so Jesus' mothers and brothers, uh, they're coming, and they sent word, so they show up to this house, and they don't go in. In fact, uh, you know, Matthew and Luke give us a little bit more of the story, and, and they tell us it was a huge crowd, and so they couldn't get in because of the crowd. You know, and that's not an uncommon thing for Jesus in his ministry. When he gets to a house, the, crowd, the house is just packed out and people can't get in there. Mark's already told us one story about that, chapter two, where these guys had their, their friend, they had to go to the roof. So it's not uncommon, but they can't get to Jesus. Now, remember why they're coming though, right? Remember, they're not coming because they, they want to rejoice and see, see Jesus, their brother and, their, and, and son, but they want to come because they think he's gone crazy and they're going to restrain him. And so, hey, you know, it's going to be a little more discreet if we get him to come outside because if we go to inside with this crowd here and we try to restrain him, things aren't going to go well. And so they send word inside. And so we've got that in verse 32. So a crowd was sitting around him and they said, hey, look, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. Jesus answers them and said, who are my mothers and brothers? So Jesus is sitting, he's teaching. He's got his disciples around him. Maybe he's got some people who are, who are listening, but he's got, he's got some close friends around him. He's been traveling with them. He's teaching, who knows? He's talking about the kingdom probably, you know, talking about him, talking about God. And uh, they say, hey, look, your mother and your brothers are out there. Now, you, you and I, we probably go, oh, okay, great. Let me, let me go see them, right? Or, hey, send them in. You know, why? They don't have to be outside. Now, what does Jesus do? Let's take this as a teaching opportunity. Who are my mother and my brothers? Okay, now, if, if you didn't think Jesus had gone mad yet, you're going, uh, Jesus, uh, we just told you your mother and your brothers are outside. Now you're asking us who they are, right? He, he takes this opportunity to start teaching them. And, and what he's doing now is he's redefining 
what a family relationship looks like if you're a follower of Christ. And he says, who are my mother and my brothers? And he, he says in verse 34, as he looks around at all those sitting at them, and he says, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God are my mothers, my sisters, and my brothers. Does that seem harsh to anyone? Because sometimes when I read Jesus, it seems harsh to me, right? Because I'm looking at it going, man, that's your family. That's your that's your mother, dude. You know, that's, that's, that's the woman who, who took care of you all these years. That's the mother who, who raised you. I mean, let's not get into all the details of what your mother had to do for you. And she's here to come, well, restrain you. He probably knew that. But she's here and she's with your brothers and you say, who's my mother and brothers? You guys are my mother and brothers. That seems kind of harsh. How do, we, how do we deal with that? How do we get around Jesus' apparent harshness? I don't think we've got to get around it, actually. I think we need to understand some things. But I don't think we need to get around it because I think once we understand some things, the harshness, the apparent harshness, starts to make a little more sense. First thing is this. Mark tells us why his family was coming to restrain him because they thought he'd gone crazy, right? So Mark actually puts them in the same category as the people who said you're casting out demons by Satan. In other words, you're against Jesus. Now, so what we're kind of gathering here is Jesus' family even kind of struggled with who he was. In fact, we, we know that later some of his brothers became believers. In fact, James is one of those guys, likely the guy who wrote our book of James, right, was Jesus' brother. So we know later he became a believer, but during his life, they kind of struggled with that. Mary seems to kind of have struggled with who Jesus was what he was supposed to be doing and what he was supposed to be about. And Mary had, a, had, had direct conversation with some angels about this. But she's looking at her son and Mary is not part God. You know, I mean, she's fully human and so she's got these, these mother hormones and these mother tensions and these mother feelings and they're all kind of going, my son has gone crazy. He's not eating. And so she, she's human just like you and I are human and she's struggling. And so Mark puts them in a category where they're, they're actually against Jesus. And they're coming to restrain him. Well, if Jesus is doing God's will and Jesus is traveling and he's casting out demons and he's, and he's healing sick and he's preaching about the kingdom and, he, and he's, he's doing what he was sent to do, if you try to restrain Jesus, are you not going to then be trying to hinder God's work? Now, Mary's mother, Mary and, and the brothers weren't going to say that, of course. I'm, I'm sure if you talk to them and say, hey, are you here to hinder God's work through Jesus? Of course they wouldn't say that. That's not what they're thinking. They're thinking, my son's gone crazy. My brother's gone, gone nuts and he, he needs to eat, you know? But pull back a little bit and see that that's what they were going to be doing. You're coming to restrain Jesus while he's teaching, while he's doing the ministry that he's been sent to do, while he's carrying out his mission. You're going to hinder, you're going you're to attempt to hinder God here. And I, as humanly speaking, you can't hinder God, right? But you're going to go and you're going to try to stop him from doing God's work. That puts you in a category where you're actually opposed to Jesus. And so when, you're, when your family shows up and they're out there, and Jesus may or may not have known that, we don't know this, but when, when Jesus looks around and he says, well, who's my mother and my brother? He starts to explain, hey, you guys that are sitting here at my feet, you guys that are learning from me, you guys that are following me, you guys that are changing your life as you consider the things I teach, the things I say, the things you see, you guys... You're doing the will of God. You're my family. He uses this as an opportunity to teach about changed relationships 
within the family. Because when, you're, when, you, when uh, your, your family relationships changed, when your relationship to Jesus changed. Right? So, so your, your, your family, your biological relationships, they changed. Now, some of you, that may have been changed for good, changed for bad. Uh, it, may, it may not have, uh, have been much of change, I don't know. But when you place your trust in Christ, your relationships to your family changed. And so Jesus is teaching about this change of relationship. And, and, and you know, it's not the first time in the scripture, and it's not the only place in the scripture where we see this change of relationship in fact, we've, we've got some other, other scriptures that I'll, I'll point you to. You can flip to some of these if you want. If not, I'll have them up on the screen. But John chapter 1, John chapter 1 verse 12, uh, there's other places in the scripture where we see that there's a change in relationship and it's, and it's one of us being brought into the family of God. So John chapter 1 verses 12 and 13 says this, but to all who have received him, that's Jesus, to all who have received him, those who believe in his name. So what does it mean to receive him? To believe in his name. He, God the Father, has given the right to become God's children. What does that mean? Well, that means you weren't God's children until you believe in Christ. That kind of changes some of our thinking, right? Because everybody's God's children? No, not, not according to the scripture. Everybody's God's creation. And if by, by God's children you mean creation, sure. But John says, no, it's to those who believe in his name, who he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of human parents or by human uh, desire or a husband's decision, but by God. So it's a spiritual relationship now. We've got this spiritual family relationship that takes place when you believe in Jesus. All right, but that's not the only spot, so let's go on. Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. Romans 8, 14 through 17. says this, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. And Paul has just kind of finished saying in there, hey, um, the, the person who has the Spirit sets his mind on things of the Spirit, but the person who operates in the flesh sets their minds on things of the flesh. And he's writing to this church in Rome, and he's saying, hey, you have the Spirit. In other words, you've, in, you've been indwelled by the Spirit, so he's encouraging them to, to set their mind on things of the Spirit. And so when he says, for all who are led by the Spirit, he's saying all those who have the Spirit indwelling them because they've already believed and are led by the Spirit, these are the ones who are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery, leading again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption. That's son language. That's children language, right? By whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness to our spirit that we are God's children. And if children, then heirs, namely heirs of God and also fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, so we may also be glorified with him. So we've got, again, this spiritual relationship, this spiritual family relationship that takes place when we believe in Christ. Paul specifically talks about it as being indwelled by the Spirit, which happens when you place your trust in Christ. And he says, then you become sons of God. In fact, then you become heirs in God's family. Not, just our, not, not only are you heirs, but you're co-heirs with Christ. And so as Jesus is sitting there saying, hey, you are my mother, my brothers, and my sisters. He's saying, you're part of my family. Paul's saying the same thing. But we also then go to Galatians. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 through 7. But when the appropriate time had come, God sent out his son, that's Jesus, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we may be adopted as sons with full rights. That's family language. That's Paul writing Galatians saying, hey, God sent his son 
so that you might be adopted as sons. Now, let's just pause here for a minute because actually all this is saying sons. It does not exclude you, ladies. It's just the biblical language, sons. They could, in this case, say sons and daughters. But sons was the, the, the predominant term of the day. They spoke in male languages. And so that's why. It's not a chauvinistic thing. It's just a cultural thing. So it includes, when it says sons here, it could be sons and daughters. Okay? Uh, so that you may be adopted as sons. Okay? We, we uh, keep reading and it says, And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, who calls Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son or a daughter. And if you are a son, then you are also an heir through God. So again, family language. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. For he, God the Father, chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we may be holy and unblemished in his sight in love. He, God the Father, did this by predestining us to adoption as his sons through Jesus Christ. How do you become a son of God? John said you believe in his name. Paul says, hey, we were predestined to be adopted as God's sons through Christ. You don't become a child of God through any other means. You become a child of God through Christ. Paul says you've been uh, adopted as his sons through Christ according to the pleasure of his will. And so we've got these, these family relationships that, that Jesus is speaking about that change. And so the, the question I asked was, how do we get around the harshness? And I don't think we have to get around it. I think we just need to understand it. Because what Jesus is doing, when Jesus was sent by God to, to, to come on this mission, this rescue mission, he's doing a radical thing. He's doing an extreme thing. I mean, Paul talks about it in Philippians chapter 2 where he says, hey, Jesus is God. He's, he's every bit God. He's just a different person of that trinity, that Godhead. But this, this Jesus who's every bit God, he chose willingly to step down from his position, not change being God, but just to step down from his position in heaven, take on a physical limitation, a body, so that he can come and be on mission here and accomplish it. That's a pretty extreme thing. God taking on the form of his own creation to live among his own creation, how humiliating, so that he can then die for his creation. That's an extreme thing. This is a radical mission that Jesus is on. And he's got a short window here. And so when you get people coming along who are going to be opposing God's mission to say, hey, the people who do God's will are my mother, my sister, and my brothers is no longer a harsh thing when you put it in perspective of the fact that this is in light of the kingdom. This is in light of the kingdom of God. And relationships change in the kingdom of God. It's not that Jesus is disowning his family. I mean, you read to the end of the book of John and Jesus loves his mother to the end. Hey, John, this is your mother. Take care of her. Is that a guy who's cutting his family off? No. But this is a guy who is so focused on his mission, who in perspective of the kingdom of God, says, the people who do my will, the people who do the will of the Father, that's my mother, my sister, and my brothers. Seems harsh to you and I. But remember the song we sang right before I got up here, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus? Those are the kinds of things we've got to turn our eyes upon Jesus on. Because it's when we focus on ourselves and we say, man, blood is thick though. Blood is thick. I mean, that's family, right? That's us focusing on us. But when you turn your eyes on Jesus, you realize, yeah, family relationships are important. 
But hey, there's a thicker blood, if you get me. Christ's blood is thicker than your family's blood. And when you are saved by Christ's blood, that blood becomes your determining factor for who your family is. And so now we're, we're reading through this and, and, and Jesus says, all right, so you who do the, the will of God, and another, and in one of the other gospels, he says, you who do the will of my father are the ones who are my mother, my sister, my brothers. So here's the question you should be asking. What does it mean to do the will of God? Now in Mark, Mark told us that up front. He told us what Jesus was preaching in chapter one. When Jesus started preaching, he's saying, repent and believe for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. What is it to do the will of God? According to Mark, it's to repent and believe. The people who repent and believe. Now, you remember, repentance is you're heading one direction, you're thinking about something one direction. Repenting is to turn, turn around and pursue something else. It's to turn back. It's to change your mind about it. And so when you repent and believe, it's really just the same coin, just two sides. Right? So you repent, and in repenting and turning, you're believing. Right? And so that's what Mark is saying. But let's go to John and see how John explains uh, what it means to do the will of the Father. So in, in John chapter 6, verse 40, this is right after Jesus has given, um, you know, that, uh, that vampire diaries speech, right? Hey, you got to eat my flesh and you got to drink my blood, all right? And he goes on and he says this in chapter 6, verse 40. For this is the will of my Father. I mean, don't you love it when it says things like that? You're about to be told exactly what Jesus means. This is the will of my Father. For everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him to have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. What's the will of the Father? What does it mean to do the will of God? Believe in Christ. What is God's will? Everyone who looks on the Son and believes should be saved. So when Jesus says, for those of you who do the will of God, you are my mothers, my sister, my brothers. All of you who believe. All of you who repent and believe. All of you who, who consider who Jesus is and you are following Christ. You are my mother, my sister, my brothers. Do you notice he doesn't ever say you're my father? Because Jesus has one father. That's why the book of Matthew says, don't call anyone else on earth father because you have one father, God the father. Jesus never says there's anyone else that's his father. But he has spiritual moms. He has spiritual brothers and sisters. The spiritual moms would be the, the, maybe the, the ladies who kind of supported him along the way because we know he was traveling with a bunch of wealthy women. And they kind of underwrote his ministry spiritual moms. Mary became his spiritual mom at whatever point she believed in addition to being his physical mom. But there's a change in relationship. And that shouldn't surprise us because we're used to changing relationships. But what should maybe surprise us is that that change in relationship actually becomes more important than your family relationships. And, and I kind of realized this when I, when I hit college. And I, I, was, I was saved when I was probably 13 or so. And uh, and, but I didn't really start growing a after that. I didn't, I didn't really have anybody come alongside and disciple, mentor, uh, teach me. Uh, until I really kind of hit junior year of, of, of uh, high school, I kind of started reading the Bible on my own and kind of started growing. Senior year, kind of started taking some leadership roles, started to realize that I didn't agree with some things at the church I was at because I actually started reading my own Bible and I didn't see how things lined up. And then when I would ask them about it, they'd point to their book of rules and it didn't really fit. And so that's kind of how I started to grow. And then as I hit college, I actually transitioned churches and I started getting discipled by a pastor and by, by a couple of other folks. But here's what happened. 
as I came out under that and I started to grow quite a bit, I became very aware of this changing dynamic in relationships. I became aware that I had new family and I loved my new family. People at the church, the, the pastor who took me in, the pastor's wife. I mean, I, I, would, I would, you know, I've spoken highly of them many times in the pulpit. Their, their kids became like my, my spiritual brothers and sisters, even though I have brothers and sisters, you know. And, but I, I became aware of this changing dynamic. Much of my family didn't know Christ. They weren't in Christ. They never believed in Christ. They maybe went to church, but they never believed Christ. They weren't saved as far as I knew. And if they were, I still couldn't tell, you know. And so here I am. I'm growing. My relationships are changing. And I'm getting more distant from my family my physical, biological family. And I'm getting closer to my spiritual family, the people in the church, the people who have believed. And, and, and I found because I was able to share things on a more deeper level with them. I had something more in common with them. I mean, yeah, I, had, I, had, I have blood that ties me to my family, but man, I, I had Christ now that ties me to my spiritual family. And that's deep. And that, that, that goes deep inside and it allows me to start talking and sharing and relating to you on a much deeper level than just brother, sister, and a family, you know? And, and what started to happen is I felt that distance. Now, I will say this. There were two particular members of my family who this wasn't the case. My twin brother and my dad. Praise God that my twin brother and I got saved about the same time. So he and I have a close physical relationship. You know, we're twins. But we also had the, the, the grace of God that we were also able to grow as spiritual brothers in Christ because he had also believed. And so, so we have that. And my dad, my dad, I didn't grow up with my dad. I got to go visit him every now and then, sometimes once a year, sometimes twice a year. But my dad got saved about the same time I did. And so what started to happen is we're growing together. And so phone conversations started to be about how we're growing and uh, in, in, in learning new things. And it doesn't mean we agree with everything that each other is believing, but we're, we're growing together. And now I have a dad who, who I, I can go to, yes, for fatherly advice, but also for spiritual advice, for wisdom and guidance. And that's a tremendous blessing to be able to do that. And so when I say some of your family's relationships may have changed, but they, they may have changed for the good, that, that may be your story. Maybe you already had parents who were believers and grew up in a home where your parents were believers. And so when, you, when God saved you, then now you're kind of in their family in a new way, you know? But your family relationships changed when your relationship to Christ changed. And so this morning to some of you, that's great news. Because for some of you, when your relationship to Christ changed, when God saved you, when he opened up your heart for you to, to believe and you responded to the gospel, you were shut off by your family. You were cut off. Maybe physically. I mean, there are some people in certain nations and certain cultures, if you believe Christ, you could be killed. Not, not necessarily so much here in America, but hey, look, there are some of you who have experienced being shut off from your family because you chose to follow Christ. You were emotionally cut off. Maybe you were physically kicked out. And so for you, this is great news because your family relationships changed when your relationship to Christ changed. You got a new family. You got brothers and sisters and, and, and spiritual parents here in the church, wherever the church is all across the world. And you, you can grow deeper and closer with them than you could any physical relationship because you're connecting on the most intimate, deep level, and that is of the, the soul and the spirit because God's united you, because now you have the same spirit. Some of you, it's great news. For others of you, that's kind of hard news, because the idea of a changing relationship within your family is tough, because it means, 
I can't, I can't relate to you the same. I don't want my relationship to my child, my parents, my brother, my sister to, to change. That's hard news. For some of you, it means when you placed your trust in Christ, your family became your toughest mission field. And maybe you're not up for the challenge. But the reality is that's true. And when you place your trust in Christ, if you've got a spouse, if you've got brothers, sisters, family members who aren't in Christ, your relationship has changed. And by God's grace, he's gonna allow you to endure that mission field. But it's hard. For me, that kind of kicked home. I didn't do this well. Uh, back in that same season of life, I started growing and I, I cut myself off from my family. I mean, I, I would still go for Thanksgiving and Christmas, but I was emotionally, I cut myself off. I distanced myself. I, I didn't let them in. I didn't share with them what was going on in my life. I didn't even share the gospel with them. If they would have asked me, I would have, but I didn't, I didn't want them to hear it. How's that? I didn't want them to hear it. That's where I was. That's not good but that's where I was. It was a tough mission field and I wasn't up for the challenge. But nonetheless, that's, that's the mission field, one of the mission fields God had me in. I distanced myself. That's not what we're supposed to do. Now, there's things we have to change, yeah. You know, so when I would go for Thanksgiving and Christmas, I didn't get wasted. I never did. I mean, that wasn't something I did. That was something my family had started to do because they had a lot of hurt. They had a lot of pain and they were numbing that. I chose not to do that. Well, when I choose not to do that, that kind of separates me. That kind of makes me go holier than thou, you know? There's things you're gonna have to change, but you need to stay connected with your family because now, hey, look, you would have no problem saying, the Bible tells me I've got to reach out to the lost and dying world. Well, guess what? All of a sudden, your family is now that in, in that category for you. And so this may be tough news because it means wrestling with the fact that, hey, my son or my daughter Right now, they're still under God's wrath and they're destined for hell. Maybe you don't want to realize that. Maybe you don't want to think about that. Maybe they grew up in the church. Maybe, maybe you don't want to, to feel the pressure of what it's like to live out your belief in the gospel and to demonstrate that through your parenting and then demonstrate that through your marriage. Maybe that's too much pressure and you don't want to do that and so you, you kind of hope the church covers that for you. Youth pastors, can you make sure you get this done? Pastor, can you make sure you say this on, on Sunday? I mean, let's be honest, that's your responsibility first and foremost as parents, but that's hard. But your relationship has changed and you have a responsibility. And so to, to wrestle with that becomes a tension for you. And that's hard to, maybe hard to deal with. Uh, maybe, maybe it means uh, for some of you who are kids and you're, you're realizing my parents aren't believers. My spouse is not a believer yet. That's hard. I don't, I... but you know what? Your relationship changed. It doesn't mean you cut yourself off. And maybe that's why it's hard for you because you think, well, I don't want to cut my family off. It doesn't mean you cut them off. You don't cut your family off, okay? You, 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 don't, you don't separate yourself and just hang around Christians. That's not, what, that's not what Jesus is advocating. It means you need to understand that you have new family and there's deeper relationships. Those deeper relationships, they, they are more important than your, than your physical relationships, but it doesn't mean you completely abandon your family relationships. You keep them as best you can and you relate to them, that now is your mission field to share the gospel and to live the gospel and to change it. If you can do it in that mission field, you can do it in anyone. But I'll tell you what, it's a whole lot easier to go to a foreign mission field. 
really is. If you can't be spiritual at home, you better not try to go be spiritual somewhere else. It's not gonna work. There's an area of your life that's just cut off. It's just cut off, but I'm, I, I know it's hard. I know it's hard. You don't have to cut your family off. You don't have to disown your, your, your members of your family. But you do need to understand what, what you're looking for in that relationship may not be there. And, and there's a, a new reality, spiritually speaking, where you have a new family. And that's great news. That's great news. Some of you do this really well. Some of you get this. I mean, you are, I, I mean, I watch you and you, you treat each other like family. And you're not even related, right? I mean, you treat each other like family. You give your time. You, you give your money. You, you sacrifice and you go and you, you're there for one another when things are happening and there's good things happening and you rejoice with one another and there's bad things happening and you mourn with one another and you're side by side. And I watch you and you get it. You treat each other like family. And that's awesome. That's what it's supposed to look like. And you know, this is also why small groups become a very important thing. Small groups is where you start to cultivate those types of relationships. That's where you start to grow in those types of relationships. And you know, uh, you, you, you get in a small group and you start to, to relate with people uh, that, that are in your spiritual family now, most of them I hope, and, and you know, you're able to share life with them. Here's what I'm struggling with. My marriage is having a hard time right now. I'm really struggling with believing God in this area. I'm having a hard time raising my kids. And you can put that out there and in, 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 a, in a setting where someone's gonna come alongside you and say, I can pray for you on that. I've been there. Or I'm there now. I'm glad you brought that up because I didn't want to. You know? and, and, and you start to experience life with one another and you grow deeper with one another. You know, we've got currently five small groups going. I want to start more. I, I want to start seven, eight, nine, ten more in the next three, five years. And I believe we can. Small groups where we've got six to eight couples, you know, 12 to 14 people in it, where, where it's small enough that you get to know one another, and, and you, you kind of get to experience life with one another, and, you, and, and you've got you've to cultivate those relationships. In small groups, like any relationship, you've you got to put in the time right? I mean, you, you can't just show up every now and then and expect there to be that relationship, but I, I need people to lead it. I need people who, who, will, who will step up and facilitate it. You know, it doesn't mean you have to host it at your home, but people who can facilitate it. But then we need people who will say, I'm committed. I'm going to give my time to a small group. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show up. I'm going to go. When, when we meet, I'm going to be there, even if I don't feel like it. I'm going to be there because I'm committed to growing in these relationships. And you know what happens as you, as you start to grow in these relationships? And small groups is one way. I mean, you can get these relationships other ways, but small groups is one way in our busy time. We have to schedule it. What starts to happen is you start to grow closer to one another. You start to get connected. You start to, to be able to share your struggles, be honest about them, be authentic about where you are, because let's be honest, you're not going to grow unless you can be authentic with people and say, yeah, I don't get that. I'm not, I'm not doing well at home. If you can't say that to people who are in your spiritual family, you got a problem. We've got a problem. And small groups, is a, it allows for that. And you start to, to, to be connected to people. And I think, you know, if we get that going, we get small groups going like that where you have groups that are committed to one another, groups that are committed to meeting, even if you all can't meet at the same time, but you, get, you, you stay consistent and you commit to bring yourself and someone's bold enough and brave enough to stick themselves out there and say, here's where I'm at. 
and it liberates everyone else in your group who's thinking the same thing or struggling with the same thing. And then you start to say, but here's how the gospel speaks to that. Here's how the word of God instructs us to live. If that gets going, can you imagine what it'd be like? I mean, we would, we would not only be able to impact each other, but the community and the world. I mean, because what starts to happen is you've got people who are connected on a deep level, like we're, we're kind of created to be in the spiritual family of God, and, and we start to connect with one another, and we encourage one another, and we come alongside one another, and we pray for one another. I bet you'd see less people deal with depression. I bet you'd see less people struggling with being lonely, looking for that, that satisfaction to satisfy their loneliness in other, other places. I bet you would find people who would be so connected that people on the outside are going to look at that and go, what's going on there? Because that's uncommon. You don't have people like that and like that and like that getting together and doing that, you know? I mean, that's the beauty of the gospel. It brings us together. And small groups is a way to facilitate that and do that. And you live and you participate as a family. Man, people would, would look into that and they'd say, I want some of that. I want to be a part of something like that. I want something deeper. And then they, they, they would come in and not only would they find deeper relationships, but what they would find is that a deeper relationship is available to them with God. And a door would be opened for them to see the gospel played out in our lives and then have their hearts opened so that they can respond. I think we can do that. I think God wants us to be a part of things like that. You know, I'm 31. And I've been in the church probably 20 years or so. And I have been a part of church long enough where I have learned how to play church a lot. I've been a part of churches where we just play it. Show up on Sunday, I'm all good. I don't really get close. I know how to play church. A lot of you know how to play church. I don't want to play church. I don't, I don't want to be a part of something that's just content to say, we're just going to do this because we've always done it, or we're just going to meet because we've always met, or this is the way we've done it. That's just surviving. I mean, don't you want to be a part of something that thrives? Don't you want to thrive in your relationship with Christ, in your relationship with others? Don't you want to, to, to grow? I do. I think one area we can do that, and, and the way it starts is to realize that our relationships our family relationships changed when our relationship with Christ changed. And that has two sides to it. That has our, our relationship to those who are not in Christ, but now it also has our relationship to those who are in Christ. And we can thrive. You can thrive. You can grow. You can be alive. I want to do that. I praise God that he's made it available for us to be able to do things like that. You know, some of you this morning, you're listening to this and going, man, I want to be a part of that. I don't know that. I don't know what it's like to be a part of a new family, but I, I like what you're talking about. Great news. This is available to you. This, this new family relationship is available. You know, we looked at John where he says, and to all those who believed in his name, who believed in Christ, to those he gave the right to become sons of God, to become children of God. That's available to you this morning. If, if you are not yet part of the family of God, that is an available to you. All that's required, all that God requires is that you believe. Jesus Christ came, he lived a righteous life, he died as a righteous man in our place, and he rose again. 
so that in rising again, it proves that he did what he said he was going to do. And when we believe and trust that that's what God did for us, we now get Christ's righteousness. And God gives us the right to become children of God.